Joseph Oloshangai grew up living in one of the most beautiful places on earth, Ngoro Ngoro, Tanzania. It's right next to Tanzania's Serengeti National Park. Millions of wildebeest, zebras, and antelope traverse the Serengeti National Park every year in the largest mammal migration in the world. Look at those elephants on safari in Africa right now in the Angora Angora crater. The Serengeti is home to more large predators per square kilometer than any other place in the world. Joseph calls it a paradise, and not just for wildlife. You, you can find like a paradise. You see the wildlife and the people in the same area. And the people are the Maasai, living alongside the safari tours and the game hunters. But the Tanzanian government says that the Maasai need to leave, and they're running out of time. They now face the threat of eviction as the authorities contend that their growing population is encroaching on the wildlife habitat. In Tanzania, a way of life is under threat. But who's doing the threatening and who's being threatened depends on who you ask. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. Joseph Alushangai is a human rights lawyer in Tanzania. He's defending his people, the Maasai. They're indigenous pastoralists who live throughout the Rift Valley in what's now Tanzania and Kenya. So Joseph, you are from a region which is called Ngorogoro. It is world famous for its natural beauty. So let's say that you type Ngorogoro into Google Images. What would I see? It is very beautiful. Very beautiful sceneries, millions of wild beasts. And you find also that the Maasai and, and the wildlife are side by side without any, any sign of shyness or, or attacking one another. Absolutely incredible beauty. Anuradha Mittal has been there too. She's been working with the Maasai for years. You will see the Gorongoro crater. You will see beautiful photos of the Maasai in the beautiful red-purple shukas, these shawls, red and purple and other colors. That's what an average tourist would see when they put in Gorongoro. But Joseph says there's also another image that's not as well known, and that's the Maasai's fight against being relocated. That includes Joseph. The government says it's voluntary. Maasai and their advocates say it's an eviction. What is hidden behind that is a bad picture of peoples whose cultural rights are always under systematic attack. Every single aspect that sustains life is being suffocated actually for, 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 for years. So that's another image that you cannot find so much on Google. That's why Anuradha was visiting. She said Maasai leaders invited her organization, a think tank called the Oakland Institute, to ask for their help. And her trip was not your typical tourist visit. When I was there, I would have to meet the communities in the middle of the night, in hiding, because they were afraid they would be arrested. They would be, you know, they would be beaten, that I would be thrown out of the country. Anuradha was in an area called Loliando, which is just east of the Serengeti National Park and has its same natural beauty. And from the moment she arrived, she could see that something unusual was going on. The Maasai were there, 
The Tanzanian government was there, but they weren't the only ones. When I arrived in Loliondo, what my phone suddenly said was, welcome to the United Arab Emirates. This is Tanzanian land, but the royals of the UAE have poured a lot of money into this area over the decades. They go there to hunt big game, antelope, lion, and leopard. This is the kind of control United Arab Emirates and the royal family has on Loliondo and the government of Tanzania. That's where the legal fight comes in. Joseph has been involved in the proceedings as they play out. Let's talk about the battle for this land, especially this elite game hunting. What's the conflict between the Maasai and the Tanzanian government over this land? The Maasai all regard the entire lands as exclusively their land. And at least the law, the Ngorongoro Conservation Area law, recognized them as the lawful inhabitants of the area. But now there has been developing interest. The interest is in the wildlife, and it's coming from the government. Tanzania gave hunting rights to one UAE company back in 1993. Now, it's planning to create a protected game reserve in the Loliando area of the border of the Serengeti National Park. And that same UAE company, Otterlo Business Corporation, will be allowed access. So I asked Joseph to tell me about who exactly hunts in Loliando. Uh, that is a very good question. Actually, the person who signed the contract with the Tanzanian government then in 1993 is Mohammed El Ali from Dubai. The real operators of the company is Mohammed Al Maktoum, the ruler of Dubai, and the defense minister of United Arab Emirates, and actually the vice president at the same time. Mm. But also, he brings his friends. So this isn't just, these aren't just your average people. <laughs> this is very elite. Oh, no, not, not average people at all. I'm just referring to the rule of Dubai and actually vice president of right. United Arab Emirates. And this is why it's, it's too tough for the market to, to resist. What the government is planning to do is to convert the game-controlled area in Loliondo, 1,500 square kilometers, into, you know, a game reserve, which basically is really for the United Arab Emirates-based Otello Business Company, which runs operations, hunting tours just for the royal family. So it is not you and I or any other tourist can write to OBC and join a trophy hunting exercise. It is really for the royal company. The hunting company, OBC, will bring clients in to shoot trophies for a six-month season. The company says it's done nothing wrong. If the status of the area does change, it will mean no more human settlement, and 70,000 Maasai and their cattle will have to move. Not one, not two, not seven, not 100, not 700. 70,000 Maasai are facing evictions. But before we talk more about this conflict over the land, there is more to understand about the relationship to the land. In Tanzania, especially for the Maasai, that relationship runs deep. They have been the pastoralists who have lived in the Rift Valley of Africa for centuries and centuries. In fact, Serengeti, in the language of the Maasai, means the land that runs forever. The Maasai are herders who live off of their cattle. They don't hunt wildlife or even eat wildlife meat. 
And Joseph says, traditionally, Maasai don't even like to cut down trees. Like cutting the, from the trunk. Like God would be angry if you cut down the tree. So you cut just like some portion of it and, others, and you leave the tree standing. That's why wildlife don't seem to fear the Maasai. And Joseph says you can find them near Maasai homes, including his. Anuradha has seen that herself too. I will share a little story when I was there and I saw this wildlife, I would get out of the car to take their photo. And of course, as you can imagine, the zebras, the wild bees, the giraffes, they would run away. Till my colleague Masai gave me his shuka and said, next time you get off the car, you wear it. You know, if you see the pictures of uh, the Maasai, they wear these bright colored shawls. So when I got off the car the next time wearing a shuka, nothing ran away and I could take photos. For me, that is the most important image of the Maasai and their relationship with land. And there's one more aspect of this. For the Maasai, this is one relocation among many. For Joseph, his family was from inside what's now the Serengeti National Park, back before the British colonized East Africa. You and your family have been in that region for many years, but originally your family was from the Serengeti area. What happened? My parents, and particularly actually my father and his parents, were relocated from Serengeti by the colonial government in 1958. So they were forcefully relocated by by the colonial government. All these relocations impact the relationship between the Maasai and the land. There's history here. And to explain it, we heard from journalist Parcelelo Kantai in neighboring Kenya. My name is Parcelelo Olekantai, and I'm a, a writer and journalist based in Nairobi. He says the story of the Maasai is a story of progressive land loss. Through a series of agreements with the British in Kenya, the Maasai were moved into progressively smaller and smaller areas, having controlled a territory that ran pretty much across the length of the eastern Rift Valley in uh, Kenya and Tanzania. The Maasai were moved into native reserves through these agreements. And Parcelelo says what the Tanzanian government is doing now is very consistent with its colonial predecessors. When the Serengeti National Park was created, hundreds, if not thousands, of Maasai families were evicted from Serengeti to make way for the national park. Now, that was the first national park in Tanzania. Tanzania's national parks are the crown jewels of its conservation efforts. Tourism is a huge part of the economy, And the government says around a third of Tanzania's land is set aside for conservation. Tanzania also has a lot of game hunting. And the argument is that the money it brings in benefits the rest of the wildlife. There's not a lot of evidence for that. But regardless, Parcelelo says the conservation has been a conflict. If you're talking about Maasai territorial land loss, it is very much a part and parcel of modern Tanzania that in order to create uh, lands and infrastructure for tourism, you have to take away Maasai land, Maasai territory. Which brings us back to the game reserve being created in Loliando. The Tanzanian government isn't talking about the trophy hunting. 
It's talking about conservation. In 2017, the conflict with the Tanzanian government came to a head when authorities burned down around 180 Maasai homesteads. Homes of the communities were burned down. Thousands were displaced. Thousands of livestock were displaced and disappeared. It was huge losses. So four villages, on behalf of the rest of the villages, brought a lawsuit against the Attorney General of Tanzania, against the government, in the East African Court of Justice, saying that there is no place or domestic mechanism for redress available to them. The lawsuit will decide ownership of the land and if the government has the right to tell the Maasai to leave. In 2018, the court issued an injunction that was supposed to halt any relocation until there's a ruling. That ruling was expected this June. The communities were waiting for a judgment on June 22nd. And unfortunately, on June 22nd, the message that came from the court is that due to certain circumstances, the decision has been postponed to September. But the relocation has already begun. A statement by the Maasai community said that on June 9th, police began demarcating the lines of the game reserve, and the Maasai went in large numbers to uproot the police markers. The Maasai slept there overnight. The police returned in the morning with tear gas and live bullets. Activists say dozens of protesters were shot and wounded. Tanzanian authorities contend that their growing population is a threat to wildlife habitat. Local activists say 31 people were injured, and one police officer was reportedly killed by an arrow. 20 people have been charged with his murder. You can clearly see from the videos that this is a military exercise by the government against its own citizens. Al Jazeera could not independently verify information from the area, as the government has been denying an eviction took place, censoring media reports, and threatening to punish those it describes as distorting events happening on the ground. What the government has been saying is that there are too many Maasai, too many cattle, and too much development in the area for the wildlife. They've argued that the livestock are literally eating the ecosystem to death. This is Qasem Majaliwa, Tanzanian prime minister, speaking to the community in Loliando, talking about how the number of people is increasing. We were 8,000. Now we're 100,000. Now, after five years, how many do you think we will be? Will this place be enough? And will all the daily activities we do be sustainable? All these issues we need to look at together, but the government will, in the end, do what's best for the nation. Joseph, it's hard not to be sympathetic to wanting to protect wildlife or to protecting the Maasai's way of life. So a lot of people see this as a dispute between animal rights versus human rights. Is it really one or the other? I see differently. The problem actually is not between the human right and the wildlife. That's not the dispute. The dispute is we are disregarding the interest of human beings to benefit a certain class of people. The places we are referring now, Serengeti and Ngorongoro, has been home for the Maasai. We have never known any of such dispute 
at least until the colonialists came with idea that we should separate man from nature. And this is the same mentality today. Anuradha agrees. This is not about conservation. This is about building a fortress conservation, which plucks the inhabitants, the, those who have protected the lands and throws them out. So the rich and the powerful can benefit. That term Anuradha used, fortress conservation, is the idea that you conserve the land by removing the people. And it's brought up a lot about the Maasai in Tanzania and Kenya. Parcelelo, the journalist, said the same thing. What fortress conservation has done has almost literally created a wall or a border between wildlife and native lands. And he said that creating that fortress is another remnant of colonization living on in the present. Wildlife conservation, traditional wildlife conservation, fortress conservation itself needs to be completely decolonized in order to give way to the kind of native conservation practices that have themselves sustained the wildlife in East Africa since time immemorial. When Anuradha visited Loliando, it struck her how the Maasai and the animals lived side by side. And she saw how it's played out in the land itself. The kind of weeds that grow, they cannot be grazed upon by the wildlife, you know, the zebras, the giraffe, the wild beast. The kind of grazing the cattle do, they get rid of those weeds. So if the cattle and the Maasai are there, they they do not allow these weeds to grow. They're the stewards of the land who have protected the cattle, they graze those harmful weeds that would destroy the incredible beauty and, and the nature and the environment of this region. Anuradha was coming from the U.S., which helped make the blueprint for national parks without people, like Yellowstone and Yosemite. Even on the other side of the world, she thought about the parks where she lives in California, with some of the tallest trees in the world. The Western viewpoint is that nature has to be protected from human beings. You know, you go to the big trees, even in California. I understand. When the white settlers came, the first instinct was to cut down these big trees. Big trees that had existed forever when the indigenous were there. The indigenous viewpoint is very different. Where nature is not apart from human beings. Human beings are a part of nature. They're the part of the territories. And this is why the most beautifully conserved areas that you see are actually where the indigenous are. They are the ones who have protected. You look at Serengeti, you look at Gorongoro Conservation Area, you talk about Loliondo, you talk about any beautifully conserved area. They're protected because the indigenous have that viewpoint and they have lived in harmony with nature. And when the Maasai look at the conflict today, it's a story they've seen many times before. I was in a village, which is you know, challenging in law courts, its rights to its own lands. So I asked the mother of the village chief that, you know, the safari company, for instance, says that they have uh, a title to your land. Do you have a title? Do you have anything? And she looked at me straight in the eye and smiled and said, what I know is I was here before they came. What I know is my people were here for centuries. I don't need a title. 
I mean, she was laughing. You know, the audacity of the people to come in and determine for them that it, they have a title to the land. They laughed at the audacity. What I would like to share with the listeners is the courage of the Maasai, the resistance of the Maasai. I heard it over and over again. This is my land. This is where I was born. This is where my ancestors are, and this is where I'll die. And that's the take. If you want to see the beauty of this land for yourself, check out the links in our episode description, or head to our Twitter at AJE Podcasts. We'll post them there. This episode was produced by Alexandra Locke with Nagin Oliay, Amy Walters, Ruby Zaman, Ney Alvarez, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Our engagement producers are Aya Al-Milek and Adam Abugad. We'll be back on Wednesday.